Welcome to the Elite Discipline Podcast, a podcast for high-velocity professionals and those aspiring to be them. Welcome to episode one of the Elite Discipline Podcast. This is Matt Andrews, Green Beret turned program management expert and uh, self-discipline subject matter expert. I'm here today with Michelle Flynn, Senior Vice President of Operations at Bandwidth. Welcome, Michelle. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. So, uh, you know, welcome to episode one. We're getting this started. Uh, see how this goes. But uh the point is to bring on working professionals who have really achieved elite levels in their their careers and their lives. Uh, the reason why is that we have a lot of aspiring professionals listening in that would like to learn from from uh, your experience and and if we can give them some advice, that's the point of this entire podcast. So uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, uh, what you do now, how you got there, and uh, anything you want to tell us. Okay. Wow, that could be a really long story. Um, we got time. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I am uh, 30 years into a technology career, um, and and I started by going to school for programming. So in high school, which for me was mid to late 80s, um, I discovered computers. It was a really big deal that we got computers in our, <laughs> our high school classroom, and, um, and I, I just, I don't know, it stuck. And so I went to school. Um, became a developer, worked as a developer for a few years. Back then, I would say I was um, so much an introvert. I was like a really, really shy. Um, and uh, eventually, um, I found out that I could speak both technical and to, to business people who didn't really understand technical stuff. So and when I, did you learn that? Was that an early age or is that when you were in school? It was... Um, no, it wasn't when I was in school. I'm really dating myself here. But, you know, back again, early 90s, the Internet was just it was it was kind of a new thing. Mid 90s, sure. it was exploding. And when I discovered it, um, I was actually working for a company that uh, sent reams of paper to its customers every month with data on them, obviously. And uh, we had just gotten to the point where it was like, well, we could send them a data file and they, you know, we could do these integrations and um, figuring out uh, that in, in that particular moment, technology was really scary. It was new. It was, you know, complicated and uh, people were just not as well versed in it as they are now. And so me being able to explain it to people in a way that wasn't scary in a way that they could understand kind of put me smack dab in the middle of that almost like translator role of being able to help the the technical people know what the business people wanted um and translate requirements and stuff like that sure so from there i i ended up um i've had all kinds of different positions i've been in what now would be called almost like a sales engineer role um, I've been a developer, I've been a project manager, I've been a business manager, I've been a business analyst, I've done QA, um, and now I'm, I'm in this role 
of operations um, for bandwidth. And it's very interesting because I was just talking actually with one of our interns last week and the the reality that I'm not in technology anymore is, um, I don't know, I felt like my career had kind of turned this corner that I didn't expect it to turn. Bandwidth is obviously still a technical company. I, I still work in technology. I love technology. Um, but I'm not actually in a technology org, which. So you say you're not in technology. And so there's, there's some sort of divide between technology and, and operations. How is that different? Because I, I think a lot of listeners are saying, well, you work for a tech company, you work in tech. Yeah. Yeah. So the technology organizations that I talk about are where the developers and the engineers and, um, you know, the, the folks that really speak the detailed language of networks and infrastructure and code development. Um, that's what I mean when I say technology. It's the folks that have those skills that are using them to deliver a product for a company. Um, in operations here at Bandwidth, um, it's more how do, how do we run our business? So if you think about a product life cycle, um, you know, you, you bring a product to market and somebody has to figure out how to sell it and how to market it and how to bill for it and how to support customers who have questions and what if they get stuck and have a tech issue. And so at, at operations, um, or at bandwidth rather, um, our operations group is uh, all of those support teams for our customers. We're customer facing for billing, for technical support, for account management. Um, and I'm, I'm sure I've, you know, forgotten some things, but it's much more about execution and running the business to leverage the products that we're creating. Sure. So did you ever see yourself getting to this position of operations or did you always see yourself more in that technical role? Yeah, absolutely. I, I saw this for myself. I think it was probably, um, if I try and count backwards, maybe 10 years ago. Um, my, I, I couldn't write code today to save my life. No one codes in the languages that I once knew. Um, and, uh, I, I, I just really sort of found myself enjoying the game of business and all of, you know, all of those pieces, bringing them together to, to really help a business win. Um, I had a, uh, a couple operations oriented roles throughout my career. I've, I've kind of bounced, um, between it almost always in a technology role, but bounce between the technical stuff and, and kind of more some of the business and customer facing stuff. And, um, probably about 10 years ago, I was like, Hmm, yeah, I'm probably going to end up being a COO one day. Okay, so is that the next step? <laughs> I mean, you're hearing is, it first right yeah, here. So, is that the next step? You know, that's a really good question. Um, I I got this SVP role just uh, several months ago in March. Um, in this time of COVID and everything else, it's it's just been a really unique and wonderful experience. Um, bef- the way that that came about actually uh, was was from a conversation I was having, um, with our COO about where I thought I would take my career. And I did not tell him that I expected or had a goal to be a COO one day. Um, but in, in putting things together, he's like, this would be a really good next role for you. Totally agree with him. I'm having a ball. Um, and I don't know if COO is, is what will be next for me. It really kind of depends on 
how the world evolves, right. um, how bandwidth evolves, and um, you know my life and how my life evolves. Sure, we'll come back to the how COVID is really affecting people's career trajectories, but let's let's go back and talk about this multi-skill role um, to understand specifically in technology, but this could apply in, in any industry to learn the the technicalities of that industry to learn whether you're in manufacturing or software development, there's going to be technical aspects and technical uh, career paths. And then there's going to be more management, operational, uh, soft skills, people skills. Do you find it important to learn both regardless of your career trajectory? Yeah, absolutely. I think the most effective uh, people um, are those who are really hungry for knowledge, learn as much as they can have the depth of understanding what the business is about and also work on those soft skills, emotional intelligence, how to work with people. Um, program management. So I, I mentioned earlier in my career, I was, I was project management. I have, I've led program management teams as well. And, and it's one of, I think the most portable um, skill sets a person can have because it encompasses everything. And it's not, you know, and, and I, I, I should probably take a minute and just, break down why I said that because there are uh, anyone that I've interviewed into a project or program role. Um, I, I kind of put project and program managers in two buckets. There are folks on one hand who are building schedules and tasks lists, task lists, checking things off, asking people if they got things done and they're just very administrative, I would say in their approach. And then there are, uh, kind of the, on the other hand, those who are actively learning the business and actively contributing and removing obstacles and understanding people and understanding the business and contributing thought leadership to whatever's happening in that project or program. Those are the kinds of folks that I want to hire. Um, because I want people who are just sort of collectively pushing against, um, the goal and, and, and figuring out how do we do more? How do we do more? How do we do more? And in, in having that kind of a mindset, you develop both the business acumen and the people skills to, to accomplish almost anything. Um, and so back to your question, as well-rounded as you can possibly be, I think working in different business units as well is super important. And if you choose not to take jobs in different business units, go, go find somebody and, and talk to them and learn the challenges that they deal with. Um, and just, you know, really participate in your own skill development. Yeah, absolutely. So you're hiring project and program managers still in your current role, or are you focusing more now uh, across the organization? And when you're looking at these candidates, what is standing out to you for a good hire or where are their points of improvement for some of these people that are coming in? Oh, that's a really good question. So I, um, we do in operations have some project and program manager roles. Um, I'm not actively hiring for them right now, but, um, things that I look for are an understanding of the value of what it is that they've delivered in the past. So for example, if I'm looking at a resume that says, uh, let's just say project management, and I'm looking at a resume for a project management role, and it says that this person managed the schedule, um, developed, uh, you know, 
I don't know, a, a risk list or an action item list. And they're kind of talking about the things they, they did from day to day. And I compare that to someone else's resume who says, I managed a project that resulted in two and a half million dollars of savings for this company. I'm going with that one because they're, they're translating their role and experience into delivery value. And that, that is what I look for. Um, I say anybody could manage a schedule or, or check tasks off a list. Um, and that, and that isn't necessarily for everyone, but, um, making the leap ahead to these are the things that I did that contributed to the bottom line of the company that I'm working for just shows a higher level of understanding and importance, um, of what that role is all about. Sure. And, uh, how would these candidates really, really break themselves away from, from the rest from the herd is it education is it certification we all you know we all know pmp is so directly tied to project management but it seems it may be antiquated nowadays um, especially moving forward into project management roles in tech so is there anything that would really break these candidates away from the herd and and stand out is it experience alone is it experience plus education what kind of education could help so in talking with some of our interns, um, it, it, in fact, I was just talking with one the other day who um, interned in our project management, our delivery office group, and she is a, a young woman in an engineering discipline in school and said, no one ever told me I could like become a project manager as a career. And when folks go into some of those technical disciplines, it, like coding is sort of the obvious, like here's your career trajectory. Wow. That's a big word for Sunday morning. Um, and, um, and you know, I don't think anyone ever told me that project management was a a career path either. It just sort of evolved into that. And so, um, what, you know, what do I look for? It's not necessarily the right education. Um, I, will confess that I will look at a resume for maybe just a few seconds and decide if that's somebody that I want to talk to on the phone or not. And I'm looking for the things that I previously mentioned, being able to articulate the business value, um, depending on what I'm looking for in that particular team situation, length of experience, um, might be something education. Um, you know, one of the best project managers I ever worked with had a bachelor's in German that's what he went to school for. So education, definitely important. Um, not necessarily uh, discipline oriented Sure. certification wise. Um, you know, I, I think I've shared with you before and, and with some other folks, it's been my experience that the more letters that come after a candidate's name, um, the more desperate they almost seem, sure. um, to get noticed. And so certifications for me, some of them are incredibly valuable, Um, and, and some of them are door openers and, uh, you know, probably, I don't know, five, 10 years ago, a PMP certification for a project management job was definitely a door opener. I will say I've worked with project managers who have a PMP who I don't think can manage their way out of a paper bag. And I've worked with folks that don't have it, who are some of the most stellar, um, folks that I've ever worked with. And so, I, when I am um, talking with different folks at various stages in their career, I think learning is important and demonstrating continued learning is super important. 
getting the certification, I don't think there's, it's, it's not a magic bullet. Um, in some situations, absolutely. It's going to be a door opener. Um, I actually, I think I am currently a PMP holder. I might have one or two more years. Um, and you know, I, I get these reminders all the time. It's like, don't forget to do your continuing credits to hang on to it. And I'm, I'm at that point in my career now where I'm like, I, I, I'm not a box checker. Right. And so if I'm going to invest some time in something, it, it's got to be something I get enough out of for it to be worthwhile. And, and so I'm, I'm kind of, uh, even wrestling with myself in terms of, do I, do I invest the time to just say, I still have that credential it for me, obvious at this point in my career, it's not a, it's not a deal breaker. Well, and that seems to be the difference between middle management, project management, program management, and then your, your upper tiers of management, whether that's at just the executive vice president, senior vice president, or C-suite level, uh, the skills seem to transform at that level. It's, it's bigger, it's broader, it's up and out. What soft skills should those people be either if you're aspiring to get there or if you're just entering there, what soft skills do you need to focus on for that level? There's, you know, you, uh, this is an obvious one. You just have to learn and understand people. Um, Making sure that you're not treating everyone the same, I think is super important. Everybody has their own individual gifts and I'm Matt, you know me, I'm not a, a super emotional touchy feely kind of person but I really enjoy how different everybody is. And I really enjoy those moments when um, I'm, I'm figuring out what makes you tick so that I can help you deliver your very best and help you grow. And for you, it's different than it is for somebody else on the team and, and you know someone else across the organization. And so emotional intelligence is, um, it, it, it's huge. And Emotional intelligence isn't just understanding others and and what makes them tick. It's also looking at yourself and understanding your own existence, Um, like incredible self-awareness. I I almost beat this one to death on a regular basis because I'm one of those folks where if I... I feel this gnawing in my gut, but I can't figure out why I have that gnawing in my gut. I'm going to sit with it and I'm, I'm, I'm just going to work through it and like, what is it that's bugging me about this work through it? Um, and then that actually helps me interact with other people better as well. Sure. Absolutely. And I know at bandwidth, uh, the company focuses a lot on that team unity, that understanding that EQ compared to just an IQ, um, with multiple training events kind of scattered throughout the quarters. Um, is there any that you specifically hold more valuable than others? Oh, um, I, I have just had the benefit over the years of so much training, um, and opportunity to learn. So if I had to pick anything, um, Oh gosh. I, I mean, I've done Myers-Briggs, I've done DISC, I've done all different kinds of instruments. And honestly, like they all teach me something different about myself. Um, bandwidth does offer, I think, um, I don't remember the name of the course, but there's, there are situations where you take the Myers-Briggs and you kind of work through that, that aspect of yourself and, um, start to understand how others who are different than you prefer to work as well. Um, I, th- I think that's honestly a good place to start. Any, um, we've, we've also done strength finders here, which I think is, um, kind of another, 
uh, flavor of something similar, which is how are you, Matt, different than than me, and how can we best work with each other now that we know those things about each other? Right. So and focusing on strengths compared to weaknesses. Yes, which is something I'm a big fan of. Yep. Um, ignore your weakness and and build more strength. Yep. Um, so and that that's that's common, but let's uh, touch really quickly on what you just briefly said is linking up those strengths. So building a team, mm-hmm. how do you build a team as, as a manager of, of people and organizations now on a, on a scaled level, how do you construct the most efficient team to achieve the enterprise's goals? So it's really important. Um, I think first that you don't make a mistake that a lot of people make, which is hire people who are just like you. I think you have to have really healthy debate dynamics on a team. And so um, right now, if, if I was to think about the team, my I have four direct reports and each of them are gifted with different strengths. And um, what's been super gratifying over the last few months is watching them come together and, and realize that about each other and work together um, knowing that, hey, if I need this, I'm going to go to that person because I, I need a lift here or I can see that somebody else needs a lift with a strength that I have. And, um, you know, I, I subscribe to the idea that I want people around me who are smarter than me. I don't want a bunch of yes people. Um, I don't want people who I have to tell them and lead them every step of the way. I want, I want folks who are willing to take risks and, and, um, I value action over inaction. And so for me, it's, you know, with, with my current team, um, I, I adore them each for all their individuality and also what they bring together and, and that we can uh, accomplish as a team. And then what happens is there's like the snowball thing where they're, they're pushing more down into their teams, right? And um, you just continue to get more and more diversity of opinion, healthy debate, and continue on that path to figuring out like what's what's the next best thing that we're going to work on we may not always agree but hey let's go try something absolutely and the ability to speak your opinion it even if it's controversial seems to be beneficial typically the 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 days of the yes men seem to be falling apart now because at the end of the day it's about value being delivered and if people are just agreeing with someone out of fear there's no innovation. There's no progress. You're going to deliver the same thing you always have. Yep. Um, would you say that no matter at what level you're at, that that would be a strong mindset? Absolutely. Um, being able to disagree. If, if I, I, I wouldn't be where I was if I wasn't just that person who, um, who, who, you know, I, I won't say that I just always say whatever is on my mind, but when, when I am in a situation and I'm disagreeing, I am vocal about it. Um, and I, I kind of, I don't know if I've always been that way, but certainly in, in these later stages of my career, it's when you, when you do that and you sort of practice doing that, it gets easier and easier. And then you end up being able to make even bigger change by being, you know, a voice of maybe just some sort of um, different opinion. I won't say like, disagreeing because it's, it's not always about that. Um, leaning into hard conversations is something that, um, I, I talk with my team about on a regular basis and I want folks who are brave enough 
to lean into those hard conversations. Um, it's so easy to do the easy thing. And, and I mean, that is a statement of the obvious and we could all skate and, and not disagree and just go along. But, um, you know, what fun is that? And how do you grow a company that way? Um, it, it just leaning into those hard conversations and dealing with that, um, on a regular basis, I think at any level, um, is a necessary skill. It is something that I will say earlier in a career is it's a whole lot scarier. Um, but the more you do it, the easier it gets. Right. And having the environment that will allow for it. Obviously. Absolutely. I have worked in companies before, um, where disagreeing with the boss was just not, it, it was something you didn't do. Um, and I, I remember this one situation from, um, several years ago, pre bandwidth where, I just, I found myself disagreeing with the president of the company on a pretty regular basis. And, um, he, he didn't get it. Like he, he actually, um, there was this one situation where, uh, he pulled me aside and he's like, I don't understand why you're so passionate about this. And, and I explained it to him. And, um, that actually was the day that I realized I cared too much about my job. And, um, and that I was in a situation where, um, disagreeing was, it, it just wasn't welcome. It wasn't part of the culture. Sure. Yeah. That, that's a, it's a strange term you use there is caring too much about your job. Yeah. Can you explain that? Yeah. So this is something I think that comes with perspective and time. Um, I am, so I, you know, I am a mother, um, I'm a working mother, and uh, you and I have talked before about how important balance is and being able to, I, I love my work. I've always loved my work. I also love my family and I want to, to be there um, for my family. And so caring too much is, um, it's, it's when you, ha- it's, it's a pivotal moment when you realize that no matter what happens, everything else is going to be okay. And there's a, there's a certain level by which like I will go full on passionate debate because I'm so convicted about whatever the, the issue is, but there's, there, there's a, there's a place where I'll stop and, um, understanding that, um, it's, it's very difficult to explain. I don't even know that I'm doing a really good job explaining it, but, um, there, there are always going to be things that happen around you that you disagree with and that's healthy. It's normal and you can't always get your way. Um, you shouldn't always get your way because somebody else is going to have a better idea or a better approach than you have. And, um, I've seen people, it happened to me. Um, but I've, I've seen other people just get so spun up because, they didn't get their way, so to speak. Um, but when you pick it apart with questions and you get to why do you care that much, it usually ends up being some kind of an ego thing as opposed to a what is best for the business kind of thing. And so there's a there's there's a thought process to dig through it. Again, you know, I talked earlier about I get that gnawing in my gut and I'm like, why do I care so much about this? What is it that's bugging me? And I, I run through, um, all of that to, to kind of pull it apart and make some sense of it and realize maybe my motives for caring about it that much aren't 
quite aligned with what the goal should be. That takes a lot of self-reflection. It takes a lot of maturity. It does. And sometimes finding that maturity on your own is difficult. And that, that leads into my next subject to discuss with you. And that would be mentorship. Mm-hmm. That would be career and corporate grooming and, and mentorship in, in the workplace, professional mentorship. How would you define that? So I think mentorship takes many forms. There, there are certainly like formal programs and relationships. Um, and, and I, you know, some of the best ones that I have ever benefited from have been informal situations. I can look back in my career and uh, I, I used to work for this guy named Gerard, and I, I, I'm still in touch with Gerard. We haven't worked together in probably 15 years. Um, but going into my next role, I used to have this, you know, WWGD, what would Gerard do? And, and it, was a, it was super helpful for me because he was somebody, um, at that time, he was my direct boss. He was a VP or an SVP. And he gave me opportunities and he pushed me. And, um, and it, it prepared me for that next level where when he wasn't there, I would, I'd sit back and I'd be like, hmm, I wonder what Gerard would do in this situation. And the answer would become clear. And I'd be like, that's what I want to do. Um, I never asked Gerard to be my mentor, um, but it just, it just so happened that way. And so I think naturally for many people, they can look throughout their career and see where different people had, um, you know, huge impacts. I used to work for this family, um, called the dot. They were the Dodds. They are the Dodds. And there are still these things that having worked very early in my career, this was back early nineties there, you know, there are these things like John Dodd would always say, inspect what you expect, what you inspect. And his brother, Stephen had other things that they taught me and they, they've just stuck with me really through the years. Um, in my current role, from a mentorship perspective, I think um, having a confidant and somebody who is not in your chain of command um, that you can go talk to, bounce ideas off of, work through, super, super important, um, no matter what level you are. I think you always need that person who, I, I tend to be somebody who likes to talk through things. I, I'll sit and I will pull it apart and figure out what I think about it, but then I want to engage with others and, um, learn different points of view at bandwidth. Um, there's no formal mentor program, but I mentor some folks on a regular basis. I've got, you know, maybe some one-on-one set up on my calendar and it's not a, it's not a stuffy formal situation. It's, Hey, let's get together and just talk about how things are going for a half an hour or an hour. Um, and there are even folks in my org now who, when they struggle with different issues, one of the first questions I'll ask is, do they have someone to work through this stuff who is outside of their reporting chain of command? Because you have to have the freedom to go and experiment and get advice and, um, and grow. And I, I would encourage like have more than one. Um, I, you know, there, there there's some folks who have come in uh, to various situations where it, you know, someone might say, Hey, I think you should go mentor that person. And I reached out to someone once and he's like, I've already got a mentor. I'm good. And I think having more than one is important because again, not everybody is the same. Not everybody does things, um, the same. And 
really to develop that sort of well-rounded point of view and toolbox, you've got to get different perspectives. It's surprising that someone would say, no, I'm good. I'm, I, yeah. I don't want your knowledge. I don't yeah. want your, your experiences. Uh, I was very surprised by that. Yeah. So if there is no formal program for a young professional to, to get linked up with for mentorship, how would you suggest they find it if it's not, if no one's offering where, yeah. where do they go? How do they find it? How do they start? So I think a good place to start is by asking people. And so, um, you know, I, I know a couple of years ago when I was building a team here, some folks were like, who, who here sh- could be a mentor for me? Um, and it's important to make sure that you're, you're suggesting people who you think are going to click with that person. Um, because you need that that comfort level to be transparent and to be vulnerable. Um, and so from, from that perspective, I would, I would just ask a colleague and say, Hey, i I want to grow my career here. Ask your boss, um, and say, who else here? Could I, could I develop a relationship with mentoring is really just another relationship. And I think if you can find someone even who's outside your discipline. So for you as a program manager, find somebody who isn't a program manager um, that is going to naturally think about things differently than you do. Sure. Um, that it's it's as simple as asking. Right. Yeah. Now, so that may be mentorship in their current role, and, and to really sharpen that that weapon, that tool that that they're currently using. But what about career planning? What about saying, I know I'm here, and I know I want to work on this current position, but I want to get there. How does someone plan out a career path and then execute it, stick to it? Yeah, I wish I had the magic answer right. for that. <laughs> it's difficult. It is difficult. I mean, looking back at my career of 30 years, um, did I have a plan? No, <laughs> I did not have a plan. My plan was to finish school and write code. Um, and... Uh, you know, at, at one point I thought I would end up being a teacher. Um, and so I, this is where I'm actually going to, um, depart. So I am a planner by nature. Um, I have lists everywhere. I love to have things to look forward to. It is, it's just an ingrained part of my personality, but I will say I, I didn't really do a lot of conscious career planning. Um, the thing that that kind of sticks with me is if I look back over my career and the moves that I took that got me here, um, there's probably a few things that stand out to me. One, um, I was always looking, not always looking, but I was open to a, an opportunity. So um, and I'm, I've been very, very fortunate in that I, I don't think I've ever actually looked for a job in many, many years. And so networking, huge. Um, and here in the triangle where we are, and in, there, there's just so much technology happening here. There are people everywhere who know people everywhere. Um, and so always be open to an opportunity. The next thing I would say is, it may not always be a title progression. It may not even be a compensation progression, but it could be an opportunity that, you know, helps you fill in a skill gap that you have that you know is is directionally aligned with where you want to take your career. 
Um, I, you know, I left a vice president position a few years ago to take a director position. Um, I came here to bandwidth as a senior program manager after being a director in another company. And so, um, my, my focus really was on building out my skills and, um, having the balance, like having, I'm a working mother. And as my kids have gotten older, obviously I get more flexibility, but as a single working mother, there were just certain things to me that were important about the companies that I work for that aren't the same for everybody else. And so it had to fit in my life and it had to fit the right way, um, in my life. Never, um, I, I would say though my titles may have regressed, my compensation never did. Um, and so I, th- I think that's an important realization. Um, and then, um, you know, it's, if you, if you're not going to learn something or gain something from whatever that next opportunity is, it's probably not the right one. Right. Um, and, and so you have to, you have to kind of really think through those opportunities as they present themselves and is it a step up? And so f- for me, I, I, I wasn't really ever thinking five steps ahead or, you know, 30 years ago, did I have a goal to be an SVP of ops? No. Um, I'm not even sure I knew what an SVP of ops would do 30 years ago. Um, but I always wanted to grow and I, and I took on those new challenges to do that. Would you say structuring a career plan then would be inhibiting? Would it be too rigid or is there value in saying in five years, I want to be a director. So in eight years, I can be a vice president, SVP, C-suite at all these different milestones. Is there value in that or is that too rigid? I I don't think that's too rigid. Um, I think directionally you want to know where you're headed and what your goals are. And I think it's good to have some kind of timeline, you know, that, that says in three years time, I'd like to accomplish this. I think what I would caution against is being so rigidly aligned to that plan that it, it costs you other opportunities. Um, because we, we can't like a plan is always a good idea. Um, I like to spend a lot of time in the outdoors and, and I will like, if I'm going backpacking for a weekend, I have a plan. And as we all know, life happens. And so we have to be able to adapt and, um, and, and that, that kind of adaptability, I think, is super important, whether you're talking about a, a backpacking trip or a career plan. Um, be open to the possibilities. Be flexible. Um, and, and also, you know, take responsibility um, for your own growth. Expecting your boss to be the one who figures out what your next opportunity is and giving you all of the things to get there is, um, it's, it's a bit one-sided. And so, um, again, it's, it's sort of like being involved in your own experience and your own growth and not giving that power, if you will, to somebody else to make things happen for you. A term we've all heard is, uh, no one's going to care about your career like you do. And yeah. that's, that's just ownership, but can opening yourself up to opportunities also be, could that pivot you too often? You there's there's that debate. Do you stay with one company for X amount of years, or do you jump every Y amount of years so you can try to squeeze every ounce of opportunity out of the market? It may show a lack of commitment. What's the the pro con of of jumping versus staying? 
Yeah. So I, I think this is something that has changed a lot. So if you think about, um, you know, I guess maybe my parents' generation, people would go to work for a company and they would work there for decades and they would retire from there. Um, with, I think, the high growth that has come from just technological advancement and lots of startups, it's become more common to spend a little bit of time at a company and, and go to another one. If you if you look at my resume, um, you know, I, I spent, I think, five years um, working for one company. The shortest amount of time I've ever spent is uh, eight months, wow. believe it or not. Yep. And... Um, and that obviously there were some driving factors there. I've been with bandwidth for four and a half years and I, I don't see a time that I would want to leave bandwidth. Um, and it really, I, if I look back at the, the path that I traveled, some of the biggest leaps that I made were possible because I changed companies. And so I think it's again, important to know what direction you want to go in, what your general timeline is. Um, Generally, I don't recommend spending like less than two years at a company, depending on what kind of position that you have and what the circumstances are. It's something that when I look at resumes, I'm, I'm looking for some continuity. And, and if I come across one where, you know, every year or every few uh, months or whatever, um, I'm kind of wondering like, okay, is this person going to be committed to my company? Are they going to be here for the long haul? I want to make an investment in them. I don't want to make an investment in them and have them run out the door. Right. So if you're going to be a consultant, just go be a consultant. Exactly. Yeah. And, and honestly, in technology, that is the answer for some of the resumes that I look at. And, and, um, if, if the experience is great, I may give them a call and they may explain that. And I'll be like, okay, so their life situation has changed. They're looking for something a little bit more long-term. Um, so it's, yeah, I, I think the days of spending long periods of time at a single company, particularly in technology, I don't, I don't think they exist anymore. They do for some people. I mean, we know here, even at Bandwidth, there, there are folks who have worked here since the very beginning. Um, other companies I've worked for, you know, I met someone who had worked there for 25 years as well. Um, and I, I, again, I, I consider myself like a change friendly person, so it doesn't scare me too much to, to change and go work for a new company. Um, I think you have to make sure it's the right situation for you. Right. Yeah. Cause that extra $5,000 or maybe that, you know, senior role to a junior director role, it may sound good initially, but ultimately the juice isn't worth the squeeze there. Sure. To, yeah to lose that, uh, that commitment on your resume almost. Yeah. But it does take, whether you're jumping every year, every five years, or just for that next big jump, that next pivotal moment in your career, it takes a network. Absolutely. It does. How do you start building one? Get a job, get to know your coworkers, develop relationships that, that really, um, is what it, what it's all about bandwidth here. Um, and at this point, having had a 20 year career in the triangle, um, my worlds all start to swirl together. Like there, there are folks that I work with here at bandwidth who, you know, this, this group of them, I worked at company a with that group. I worked at company B with, and then I might talk to somebody outside the company and be like, Hey, guess who I work with now? And they don't even know who I'm talking about. Cause over time, everything just starts swirling together. Um, 
you know, it relationships take investment. And so I think developing relationships wherever you are um, is super important. If you leave the company, take care of the ones that are important to you um, when you move on. Because you may decide at some point that bringing someone along with you is the answer. They may go to another situation and bringing you along is, is the answer. And that's really how your network grows and how opportunities present themselves and expose yourself to like lots and lots of different situations, whether, you know, conferences, training opportunities, um, just uh, special interest groups, that kind of thing. Like just get out there, I think is, um, is, is the best advice that I have for people. And then when you do make those relationships, take care of them. Absolutely. So there's not, there's never been a lot of benefit to burn bridges. And that's, right? that's what that would be. Yes. Is I'm just going to burn a bridge to burn a bridge. Now yep. you, you want to take care of that in case you ever want to cross it again. Absolutely. You, are, that person could end up being your boss one day. Absolutely. <laughs> Especially in tech because uh, yes. everyone's career track, their trajectories are different and they can converge again at random times. Yes. And guess what? Now you're behind. Yep. Um, and, and we see it all the time. And we see a, a career person, you know, mid forties working for the nineteen year old. Yeah, that just it happens. Kicked it off. <laughs> yes. Well, let's say we are in between that. You know, we're not we're not the dinosaur in tech, but we're also not the sweatpants wearing uh, CEO of the new social media app. What are things that that this professional can do besides? Uh, deliver as much value in his position besides just be a, a great personable person with great soft skills. What are some actionable steps to start steering away from his peers and really elevating his life? Uh, is it more networking? Is it uh, public speaking? Is it uh, more school? Like what can they really do when they say, okay, I am making this decision. I am fully investing in my career at this point. And I know this might take sacrifice, but I can take these three steps and I will start breaking away from my peers. Or does that even exist? Is it just opportunity? Well, I, th I think um, people can create opportunities for themselves. So you don't always just wait for them to happen. This podcast, for instance, Matt, this is an opportunity that you are using to um, to, to just grow your skill set and uh, contribute something new and interesting to the world. And so... Um, don't wait, I would say, um, in terms of steps that you can take, I, you know, working at bandwidth, we're very fortunate in that we're, we're not like super hierarchical. Um, yet I've worked with, so again, four and a half years ago, coming in as a senior program manager, um, once every couple of weeks, I was delivering a briefing to the senior leadership team and it was never, uh, you know, they're up here and I'm down here. It, it, this particular environment, and I think healthy company environments, um, look for opportunities to kind of bridge those gaps and and not sort of sequester themselves away from the the working people, if you will. Um, if if I didn't work in an environment like that, um, then I, you know, I would hope that some folks maybe in my organization would say, I would like to gain experience in this area. Is there someone here at Bandwidth or anyone that you could connect me with that might help me do that? And I, 
you know, I firmly believe that that part of the reason that uh, I'm in the role that I am in is because I I have invested in relationships with people all across the company, and I didn't I didn't set out necessarily to do that and to make it a goal. I I worked hard and did the very best job that I could do, and um, opportunities have presented themselves. So. I'm super grateful for that. I think you, again, it's that proactive nature of sort of creating opportunities for yourself just by really working hard and, and doing the right things. Um, if it's, if it's something, you know, let's say somebody asks me, can you connect me with somebody? Cause I want to learn more about, um, human resources and here at bandwidth, we call it people services. I, there are a number of people I could connect could connect that person with. There's also somebody that I've worked with outside of bandwidth who is just a a powerhouse of human resources and people management um, opportunity. And so I might choose to connect them as well. And and that's how you start getting your external network. Like you don't want to have everything going in, in the same place. Um, It's, it's knowing people who know people. At the end of the day, know people who know people who know people, right? It's a spider web. Eventually, you're going to get to Kevin Bacon. Yeah, (laughs) that's right. (laughs) So, we've been talking a lot about building relationships, but we haven't talked about the other end of that, and that is sacrifice. That is putting things aside in your personal life to achieve greater things in your professional life, and I think that this is very difficult for people and people have priorities. Everyone's going to have their priorities, but rarely do we see logic over emotion um, and really achieving greatness in your professional career, whether that is that C-suite or it could be a entrepreneurial uh, endeavor. It could be starting your own business. The, the few that get to the most elite levels seems like their stories are always riddled with sacrifice, riddled with hardship. What is your opinion on that? Do you have to sacrifice aspects of your personal life to achieve greatness in your professional life? And and is it worth it if you do? Wow. Um, I think that answer is different for every person. So I, I think that to be successful you make sacrifices. Um, do I think that they all necessarily fall in one bucket? No. Um, and by that, it, to your question, do I think you have to sacrifice a personal life in order to have a good professional life? Um, I don't think so. I think if you're willing to do that, and and that is how you prioritize your own circumstances, more power to you. I think that's great. Um, it's going to manifest itself differently than somebody who isn't willing to do that. Um, and by that, so this is where I think, um, knowing kind of the direction that you're headed in and what you want. And again, maybe your timeline is more aggressive than somebody else's timeline. Um, you're going to make the sacrifices that make the most sense to you and fit in your life. And you may look for a different kind of company than somebody who has a different prioritization um, paradigm than you do. So for me, I, I mentioned earlier as, as a working mom, um, my kids were two and four when I became a solo parent. And so th- their needs at that point in time and my needs from a company 
were different than they are now that they're older and in high school and they can drive and stuff like that. So, um, it was important to me that when I was making changes in my career, that I could grow my career and still be a good mom. Um, I've been super fortunate to find the right kind of companies most of the time that allow me to do that. And, um, that's where, when you're interviewing with a company, I think interviewing the company from your perspective is just as important. Is it going to help you realize what your goals are? Um, I think that there are, um, folks who maybe have sacrificed their personal lives and, um, probably regret it, um, getting to where they're they're they got to. Um, and I think that there are folks as well who, um, have kind of always had their eye on the prize and having a personal, what you, what we call a personal life, right. Having some sort of, um, social system outside of work just isn't as important to them. Um, I don't think there's one answer for that at all. Right. I think it's different for everybody. It's what's important to them at, at that time in their life. Yeah. Yep. So, all right. Let's, uh, let's finish it off with the even harder question. Uh-oh. <laughs> what does elite discipline mean to you? Oof. You know, Matt, when you say elite discipline, it scares me, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) I think that it is. So discipline is one of those things that I constantly work with myself on. And so when I am faced with the reality that someone could achieve elite discipline, I'm like, oh my God, I'm such a baby at this. (laughs) I have so long to go. Um, I, I went to a leadership seminar earlier this year and there was a guy there named Ben who I admired his discipline. He was a, a young man, maybe, I don't know, late twenties, early thirties. And, and I admire strong discipline in others because it's something that I, I am focused on within myself and I, I, I struggle with at times. And he said something really profound to me. He said, Michelle, Everybody has discipline. Some people just choose not to use it. And that, I I was like, holy crap, it just like hit me over the head. I'm like, that's so true. I can't argue with that at all. Everybody can be disciplined. Um, I think it takes a lot of mental strength and focus to be disciplined. And so elite discipline to me is kind of like maximum at maximum efficiency, like everything in your life is on track and you don't make a single bad decision and you're just like, everything's, the world is your oyster, right? That, um, I rarely see that happen for people. It does happen. Um, and I know that there are people who are just sort of, um, more prone, I think, to what I would consider elite discipline. Um, certainly, military, I think is one of those things where I've, I've worked with a number of folks from the military who they just have this very regimented way of going about things. And it's, it's almost like they're pre-programmed to do it. And I, and I do think that habit, um, is an important part of discipline, but, uh, I would say I am, I am disciplined most of the time. And, um, there are some areas of my life where I'm not disciplined at all. So elite discipline is like, it's, it's, it's a, it's a big stretch goal for me. Sure. <laughs> Dial in some of those areas. Yeah, right? exactly. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Well, great. Thank you for uh, the conversation and all the insight this morning. Where can people reach you? 
Um, so, uh, you know, I don't have an answer for that. Good. (laughs) (laughs) You cannot reach Michelle Flynn at this time. Please leave a message. Hey, so I'm on LinkedIn. I would say that's probably the the easiest way um, to get in touch with me is through LinkedIn. Um, You'll see me there, Michelle Flynn, bandwidth. I'm the only one. Got it. Too easy. Well, thank you very much for your time. This has been a great conversation. I've enjoyed it as well. Thank Thank you. you.